we all want that like that out of like we are victims of a horrible circumstance and that's why we are so fucked up mentally and so sad and life is so hard Mm. gave that to them one of the things that these kids could not do was to re-examine the premises they'd unconsciously or unconsciously agreed to and it's like this sort of eight thing of i'm gonna find where the bodies are buried psychologically for you like if you give me some kind of potent memory i'm gonna use it the big hormone enneagram I'm John Lukovich, 415, sexual self-prez, 458 traffic. I'm David Gray, self-prez sexual, 9 with one wing, 974 trifix. What up, it's Emika, I'm an 8 wing 7, sexual self-prez, with 854 fixes. Hi, I'm Nancy, I'm a 3 wing 4, self-prez social, with 369 trifix. Hi, I'm Alexandra, I'm a social self-preservation, 9 wing 1, 963 trifix. If you like or hate us, make sure you go like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and make sure you leave us a review. All right. Did everybody watch the thing? Yeah. Yep. I watched the first two and a half episodes. I didn't make it through all the way. I feel like that's plenty. Like, the last half of the... It got... uh, It it was getting hard to watch, honestly. Yeah, like, when he was, like, beating him, beating him up... Oh, the, the, the tongue hammer? thing. Oh the, yeah, the, I was the like, thing where he grabbed his tongue. I was like, Ugh. and I mean, for me, the the most insane episode was the third one of just like that doctor girl, mm-hmm. the way she was like, <laughs> love Larry, <laughs> like you know, just like yeah, <laughs> yeah, just actual I mean, brainwashing. Yeah, yeah like yeah, somebody completely lost it. It was yeah, crazy. somebody who's com- yeah completely has no sense of reality anymore. Um, I don't know if I've ever watched somebody in the midst of that like that you know what i mean like mm-hmm. i don't know if i've ever seen it like you know you hear about stuff like that or you can infer that some behavior was some something like that but her just actually like having like nothing in her eyes and being like i love larry and then like slowly <laughs> starting to come back uh fucking in to me why i thought this documentary was so uh wild and fascinating was I guess the two things is one, how somebody so unremarkable as Larry got into people's minds. <laughs> and then how much people's minds can be influenced by something external and something, you know, memories replaced, all these kind mm-hmm. of things. And then, like, how it can get so kind of broken and then remended. It yeah. was very, I mean, it was just looking, it was like looking at the, the mind as. Uh, like some other kind of organ, like getting liver damage, and then like learning to like have your li- liver slowly repair itself or something. It like was that. it was just adaptation all the way through. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, it, to me, it was a lesson in Bermuda six and nine, basically. But I, at the same time, watching it, I've seen a bunch of these docs where. Um, somebody comes along who convinces a nine or a six based on some kind of authority play that they have some involvement with the government. Um, this guy in particular, there was so much recording that you got to see how persuasive he was. Mm, and yeah. so on one hand, yes, um, a nine or a six can fall for it because it's a, it's a f- pattern, it's a formula that 
these people fall for. It's like somebody comes in and they sweep you off your feet and they give you this authority play and people who just sort of like, without questioning, respect the government, respect military experience. And, and then you get them in with some kind of emergency. Like if you don't help us, your family's going to be in danger. I get how that can be compelling for a nine or a six, but this guy in particular, I think what stood out to me is that he is very psychologically persuasive. I wouldn't be surprised if that would work on most people for a little bit. Mm. I mean, it's just yeah, shocking that it worked for that long. But like, I mean, just listening to the recordings, that is a really hard person to deal with. Like, this is sort of the eight, nine. Like, he's so calmly just unrelenting <laughs> yep. that is. he just wouldn't let them. They didn't have a choice. If You had to leave. If you stayed you had to comply with what he wanted you to say. Um, The girl that didn't, like, from the get, like, kind of had his number, do we have an idea on what she is? Six. Yeah, I was thinking she was a six with a one fix. Yeah. what I got. And I was thinking he, the guy, the cult, Larry, the wonderful Larry, I was thinking he might be eight, six, two, like that triple thing. thing. Yeah. I wouldn't uh, hurt a fly. <laughs> so yeah, so oh what we God. should do for uh for our buddies, we so we're talking about what's the documentary called? Stolen Youth. Stolen, Stolen Youth. Youth. Yeah. So we watched a documentary called Stolen Youth about uh this fucking dad who uh moves into his daughter's it's not a dorm, it's like a house where a bunch like eight students live and crashes on their couch after he gets out of prison. And he starts helping them out uh, in dumb ways, just like making dinner for them, and then individually sort of um, run, fucking cat on my lap. He <laughs> 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 just <laughs> fell off me and scratched me all the way down. Um, uh, he he comes in. He comes yeah. in in a really compelling way. Uh, he makes himself useful from a rejection point of view. I could definitely see what he's yeah. doing, cooking for the for the kids. He's you know Steak buying dinners. groceries and. Uh, he's also giving them advice and these are very, these are college students. And this is a much older man who's knows how to present, like you've got your life ahead of you. And if you want to become your best self, like you've got to really tap into, you know, some like self-actualization stuff. And so like, he's got these, I feel like he's probably a social eight where he set up a dynamic where he's the mentor felt like this was effective also because a lot of these kids seemed like they were looking for something. They were looking for some kind of like father figure sense of uh, guidance. And so he just stepped in, made himself useful and was very compelling. And it just escalated from there. It, it also, some of the things that were interesting though, is that first, I think uh, he was the father of one of the girls right. in there. there you so go. That, that was like, his in. Yeah. That was his end, and they didn't really address what happened to her. She just kind of fell off, which is fucking weird. And this went over, like, a 10-year period. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the other thing was, I wonder, I've been thinking about this, because so the school was Sarah Lawrence, which is, like, in, yeah. in Yonkers, New York. It's, like, it's kind of similar to the school I went to, where it's, like, kind of unstructured, but it's a little bit more froofy. Artsy. Artsy. <laughs> and uh, I wondered if maybe one of the influences was that it had like it seemed like Sarah Lawrence didn't have much of an edge, right? Like it just mm-hmm. seemed like like there you go. And so I wonder if there was like a let like the people there were like letting their guards down about the kind of people that would be in their their atmosphere. Right. 
Right. Because I mean, like, I don't know if you are in an environment where like a school environment where people are just like kind of dicks, your, 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 your radar is open, you know? I mean, he just got in there and he, the first thing he started with was like this shut in girl. Do you think she was like a nine, eight? The, yeah, oh, Isabel? Isabel? Yeah, nine, I eight. I think so. Uh-huh. I like don't even, sh- she might even oh, have like a... Sure. Uh, five six like she seemed really really removed yeah. <laughs> really removed and he like talked to her and then like stayed the night in a room and it's kind of ambiguous what happened and later became like his one of his girl's yeah, friends yeah. you know and his <laughs> main enforcer right. yeah but uh Not you know and was also his daughter talia's best friend mm-hmm. <laughs> and and then so like you, you know he basically starts sleeping with her and then that fucking like I know there's a whole like oh the victims da da da, da but like I was so annoyed by that Santos guy. Me oh my yeah, God. yeah, so punchable. Because he just punch let him. both of his sisters in there, you know, yeah, and yeah. he was like, mm-hmm. yeah. not even let them like told he them hey, come it. here. Yeah, this guy's really cool. Yeah. So yeah. So then anyway, like starts with Isabel, and then he gets to Santos, who just is like, I need advice, and then mm-hmm. he's like, Wow, Larry really helped me, and it was I I was really trying to like listen for what specifically the thing the good the goodie that larry was offering them early on and it was kind of like he seemed some kind of psycho psychologically knowledgeable but not anything special and it, i i mean well he i i would say that he was cold reading them pretty well like he yeah he was he was able to point out like it wouldn't take a, a genius to be able to point out like, oh, you have this hang up about this insecurity and it's holding you back. But I could just see sort of the eight thing of this kid lacks confidence. He probably has sexual insecurities. Let me hit him with that. And it's going to it's going to just like make this guy feel like, oh, my wow, he knows so much about me. Like he was doing that so well with everybody. It's also and- just the thing of that eights uh, model just sort of incidentally a kind of unified will. You know, and just with their presence, you know what I mean? So it's, it's experiential, you know what I mean? That you're around somebody that, uh, isn't so splayed out in all directions in terms Mm, of, uh, Mm -hmm. just where your mind is at, you know, like the way that nine and six are. Yeah. Yeah, As a young nine and six, you're probably searching for that stability and he offered it to them. Yeah, there is, there's a certain stability that he offers because eight, especially eight wing nine, has this like total boulder, really heavy, unmoving. Like at least the seven wing has some kind of dynamicism to it. Dynamis, whatever that word is. Dynamism. Um, yes, thank you. Yeah. Um, so there's already that, just like a body influence. Like how do I become that solid? Um, but also I think with his two, I think two fix is spot on. And I think the offering some sort of help from um, an eight fix, from an whatever, from eight and two speaks to a certain three-ish quality that all the students must have had too, mm. because it was, they were able to receive some sort of like psychological athletic coaching, mm-hmm. you know, right. like he was really, his first, um, his first offering was just like his like campaign or whatever thing was like improvement, self-improvement. Right. You know what I mean? Which I feel like would appeal to three more than anything else. Mm-hmm. He was very skillful with leveraging relationships and knowing how to impress people. Um, and especially, you know, that whole family with the Santos and the sisters and Isabel, who are like 
pretty poor, come from really poor families. And yeah. so, and they were the most hooked in. And so this is mm. this guy who seemingly has all this free money and he's buying groceries and she's saying something like, I've never seen or gone grocery shopping with anyone before. Who's... Oh, right. And so he's going out and taking them out to dinner and there's this sort of like, he's the, you know, the king of the court and everyone wants to, each of them wants to have, to get as close to him as possible. So he, he created this sort of cult dynamic where like he's at the center, he's giving all this advice and, but he's also has all the resources and also has all the knowledge. And yeah, it felt like social eight um, with the yeah. two fakes was just very potent mix of extremely interpersonally cued in. Um, and also, you know, these victims, there's kind of like a power status imbalance where like, what a potent mix. Like it would be really hard to not be swayed by somebody like that. One of the things, I don't remember what we were talking about before we started recording, but Emika, you were mentioning the government military thing. Yeah. Let me mention that again. When I was, uh, (laughs) when I was trapped (laughs) in Texas, (laughs) I, uh, did a huge binge on against these... your will by a cult <laughs> yeah. by a cult of one yeah. <laughs> bejeweled <laughs> uh i got a i went on a kick of these sort of like brainwashing cults and tinder tinder swindler was one of them we've already did an episode mm. about it but it seemed like to follow a certain pattern where someone would come along and either they would show some kind of status either through wealth or connection with the government or the military. And it seemed like you needed that combination to get the immediate respect from just a stranger. People immediately turn their brains off when they think that you're doing something in relation to the military or the government um, or the Secret Service or something like that. That, and that then, shit blows my fucking mind. Yeah. Like, I, there's nothing since, I mean, it's just... What an absolute like military is equal douche. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and and they get the strangers essentially uh, to take massive action quickly based on an emergency. That if they don't take action, that their friends and their and their families' lives are in danger. And so it continues this. uh, I've saw multiple like three or four documentaries where the same thing would happen. Where you're talking about almost a decade plus where this person has basically been brainwashed and taken over with the same kind of plot of I'm a high-ranking government official and you need to follow what I'm telling you or your family's going to die. And then they start like draining their family members of hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of like five to 10 years. And nobody sees them until one day they finally decide, all right, I'm done. (laughs) It's like the same thing. Yeah. Over and over again. Yeah. And this guy also, like, didn't really work for the military. Like, no. He, he made up a bunch of shit about right. it. Like, I know he did some loosely government something, like, but with, like, state yeah. government in, like, New York City or New Jersey or something. But he just pretended to be, like, some uh, CIA operator type of, I think they mentioned he was, like, disposing General Noriega or something like that or Gorbachev, you know, something, whatever. And it seems like he had like whoa <laughs> not even knowing like, what that meant he was like in the same room with them and they have photos mm-hmm. like it, it's like he did something for work where he was you know involved in some kind of money laundering or something photos. but he was just friends <laughs> with some law enforcement people and had photos with important people and that's enough to, to convince people that you've worked with them yeah that was one of the things too that uh i think the sanchez guy mentioned 
was that like early like as, like as soon as he's like I'm on the couch crashing, he just comes out with all these stories and these photos and these like fake documents about how important he is, and these kids were just like, "This is amazing and real," you know. <laughs> <laughs> and he had this letter that, and he had like no person. The thing that got me was he had no personal effects, but he happened to have a fucking letter. Yeah, and he's also and, like, proved exactly what he was saying, and it's like I'm sorry, but anybody who works in the government doesn't go waving around letters. Like, look, he's also a fat dad work. on a couch. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, shut the fuck up. If you work for them, then like I don't know, go there. He, uh, you know, what I was thinking was that in this specific scenario, I could see how like you could build a foundation of trust. All right, so this friend that you live with, who's been talking up her dad for months. And if dad finally shows up, and this is someone that you feel really close to, you're a freshman in college, and you're in this sort of like wide open, impressionable environment. Um, and then this person shows up and he comes in, you know, social aid, he comes in like guns blazing with all these status signifiers, and he's making himself useful. My first impression of just hearing the recording of his voice, he sounds really calm. He sounds nice. Mm -hmm. He does. Um, yeah. Yeah. Even when he was doing all this terrible stuff, he doesn't sound that mean. Like mm -hmm. as yeah. he's being forceful, he's not loud so I, or like overbearing. Yeah, I just imagine that this this is very plausible. Like it's not implausible for someone to fall for this. I mean, it's crazy to fall for it for ten years as far as he he went. But like that scenario, yeah. So for people listening, uh, why we're like like this lasted over ten years, and <laughs> oh uh, it like it's it started in this fucking uh, like on-campus housing mm -hmm, right. and then they moved into this guy's apartment which was not even Larry's apartment in right. manhattan we'll set we should go into all how this all started but it went over like 10 years he, he sort all this money from different people but he had like you know had these kids like ha you know he was having sex with some of them having they were having sex with each other they were all like living in the same tiny fucking apartment which i like it's a like in a high-rise in new york mm -hmm. which i can only imagine in summer with those windows yeah. just the mugginess plus the power oh. tools plus that guy just he looks like he smells like bad ham you know <laughs> just like radiating and just everything's just gunky and just his bald head alone yeah just nice. just just like a ham under those like 7-eleven uh, <laughs> heater lamps and then uh a taquito <laughs> and then he but then he's he's like getting like the the santos and his two sisters to get all this money uh from their parents he's like while convincing them. them that the parents like poison, poison them. them poison them and drug dealers he's convinced all these people that they've po been poisoned he's told all these kids that they have been poisoning him and the other kids to the point where even one of these girls ends up becoming a call girl and to pay over, back to pay back the damage from the fake poison that never happened yeah amassing over two million dollars yeah. in sex work for this creepy fuck. And and then it just like it just it goes on for like ten fucking years. Yeah. And then uh and then, you know, eventually the the girl who was forced into this sex work, uh some some like website shows up where she's like clearly like mentally out of it deranged and talking about how she poisoned everybody in that house way back ten years ago. And it's his, it's, he has, he's recording her confession, yeah. quote unquote yeah. confession. Yes. And then somebody who went to school with her is like, what the fuck? And he's like a journalist now. And he and the, a couple others that used to live together, like make it a story and it blows up and then he gets arrested, blah, blah, blah. But like, 
Partly because they're worried that they got poisoned, right? Is that when, was that part of it? No, they were like, that doesn't make any sense, but oh, right. something really fucked up is happening. And, uh, right. you know, part of like why we're talking about this, because I can't remember what we recorded but, or what we talked about before we recorded or not, was just like the extent of the brainwashing over this compelling but just generally unremarkable asshole. Who's mm-hmm. like, you know, just, I don't know. Anyway, I just wanted to set that up because like we're, the emotional impact of like, how is this happening? doesn't really mm-hmm. land unless you know a little bit about the overview. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember the core mechanism that he would use to manipulate or pressure them or extort them for money was that he had originally went for, to prison because he had been part of some kind of money laundering ring. And so he had lost his family, lost custody of his kids, uh, been divorced. He lost everything. And so in prison, he had launched a campaign to blame certain individuals Mm -hmm. who he had been friends with for what had happened. Mm -hmm. And so he carried that story um, after he'd like love bombed these kids. He eventually started telling them about like these, you know, I think it was Carrick is what he called them. Carrick, yeah, yeah. Who he, who believed he had uh, set him up. And so he started, you know, pressuring these kids to confess to, uh, what did he say? Like, why are you sabotaging me? Like, so he's, it started with bringing him all these, all these tools to the apartment and then started, you know, why are you, why are you, uh, damaging my property? And yeah, yeah. why are you trying to hurt me? <laughs> and why then are you hurting me? <laughs> and so he would just keep this up until they would confess to doing so. And then he would keep pressuring them did Carrick put you up to this the the person he's been blaming and so they would just start racking up all these charges and it's like you owe me like I don't know hundreds of thousands of dollars and that's how like these kids then have to get go to their parents to get this money I was like holy shit (laughs) yeah Yeah. Yeah. so so they oh go ahead well I wanted to read this I just found a quick did a quick Google there's a Vanity Fair article that talks about this it's called the yeah the Sarah Lawrence sex cult for anybody that wants to just look up the story without watching the documentary anyway this I think um, covers his like eightness before we even get to Sarah Lawrence before he even gets to Sarah Lawrence um, it says in 2005 five years before he moved into his daughter's dorm at sarah lawrence college and took a cult-like hold over her young friends larry ray the guy we're talking about received a psychological evaluation that was conducted as part of a custody trial with his ex-wife and the judgment was alarming this is a quote from the judgment it is literally impossible to evaluate mr ray in the usual clinical manner His personality dynamics are so configured that he's able to manipulate and control almost any situation in which he finds himself, including a psychological interview with a forensic examiner, no matter how much, no matter how experienced that examiner may be. Mr. Ray is very good at what he does. Wow. This is before he came to a uh, Sarah Lawrence dorm full of like 19, 20 year olds. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Little soft boys. One of the things too that happened was so he's love bombing them. He's like supporting them. He's like they're they're all of their dads, and he's like helping them out. And he's just such a great guy. And then summer comes, and somehow they only they only showed the guy very the the Asian guy like they only showed him very briefly in the in the clip who oh, owned yeah. the apartment. It like wasn't even Larry Ray's apartment, but he pretended it was. But he just like fucking gave it over. To- <laughs> yeah, he took it over. He he told the this guy I can't remember his name, but he was this like older Asian guy that he was like. 
I'm just worried about my daughter and something I need this apartment for my daughter. And the guy's like, probably also a nine was like, right, you right. Go. he just <laughs> takes it over and then moves in like, uh, you know, it's like one bedroom apartment. He moves in like seven kids or something. And then they start amassing, like to your point, Emika, about how he like escalates it. He's like amassing stuff and like pots and pans. And then he'll be like, did you damage my pan? <laughs> And and they're like, I, no, no. And he's like, I, you damage. Why did you damage my pan? And don't you, don't you take responsibility for things? And they'd be like, uh, I I do take responsibility, Larry, but I don't remember doing this. And he'd be like, Why aren't you taking responsibility? We just like escalate. And they'd be like, Okay, I must have done it because I don't remember doing it, but I must have. And open the gate to accepting alternative views of reality and just surrendering mm-hmm. their agency. Yeah. And I think um, the important part was he, he built up this system. Before he moved them into this apartment, he built up this system of to better yourself, you must take responsibility for every action. And we are a family and we're going to talk about everything that happens and we're going to apologize and we're going to talk about taking responsibility. So by the time he got to this like escalation point, taking responsibility was like this expectation of like you are bettering yourself. And if you don't take a responsibility, then... Mm -hmm. You're you're not bettering yourself. How dare you? So yeah. e- even if he came to them with false accusations, there was an, this built up expectation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one thing that I've I found uh, unique about this situation was that w- because maybe we had all the recordings, it felt like I I could see how he, he did it. It was <clears throat> he built a narrative, a foundation of trust, a foundation of closeness. And sort of like, uh, almost like a philosophy, that this is the philosophy that's going to help you actualize. And then based on that philosophy, then he started to uh, create these sort of false narratives. And he didn't like, you know, escalate to like the, oh, you're with Carrick immediately. It, it was built up from, you're damaging my property. And then once they, <laughs> once they gave in to, oh, I don't remember if I did, but I guess I'm a bad person for not remembering when I did. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I did. Well, then the next step is, well, who put you up to it? Carrick put you up to it. And then, but the thing is, it's like, it's sort of like breaking somebody down. It's like, if I'm, yeah. I'm going to keep you up till seven in the morning until you give me the answer I want. And people might watch this thing and be like, oh, that would never happen to me. Like, if you say yes to the initial love bomb, Right. You're done for. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a good uh like one of the things that these kids could not do was to re examine the premises they'd unconsciously unco- or unconsciously agreed to. That's like mm. Nancy's point's really good. It's like there's this philosophy that Larry Ray presents about accountability and responsibility and self improvement. And they, they build on that for like uh, it seems like o- over a year. Like it was yeah. the whole school year and then the summer and it was like they were like we were improving. We were we were getting like he was using his military training we were to get working us out. up, and we were yeah. yeah working out and improve our confidence. Uh, but well, it's like some of them didn't they advance also like in their careers and in school and stuff like that? Yeah, so there were like they, results that came from this too, right. which only strengthened the resolve to keep going. But they never they never like reexamined the the whatever the baton they gave the green light they gave to Larry Ray, and so it was like. They couldn't hold, perhaps, that there were both improvements in their lives, but also this guy was fucking with them, and he was, like, you know, making them question their reality and stuff like this. And, like, there was the guy, um, the guy, he seemed, like, kind of gay. Uh, Is it the white was, guy? 
he was a white guy and he was like questioning his sexuality. He was a very oh, soft spoken yeah, yeah. guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Larry's like, no, you're straight. And then he's like, oh, okay, good. And then, oh, cool. Oh, good. Oh, thank God I don't have to think about this anymore. <laughs> and then, and then, so he's like, you know, in this tiny apartment, he's like sleeping in the same, he's got Isabel uh, from the dorms like sleeping in his room. And has Isabel like come out and like, be sexual with him or something and then involves him in a three-way with her you know just like yep. encroach it's just like so fucking weird and so it was just like this like oh okay like i'm i'm agreeing to some level of like larry's feedback or guidance on my sexuality and then there's just this surrendering of agency around his sexual i mean on in, in, in every front i guess but like after that that was just really interesting to like try to understand I, I- I interpreted that, uh, like it, he seemed like he was still like a kid, like a, you know, teenager, even though he probably, he was still like what, 19 or 18 or something. It felt like he just needed someone to give him some level of confidence about his sexuality. Cause Larry asked him, are you, do you think about having sex with men? And he said, no. It was like, then you're, you're not gay. And he was like, oh my God, I just needed someone, you know, to give me some sense of clarity. Mm-hmm. And he was, and I think Larry could sense that he had a lot of shyness around his sexuality and sort of like encouraged him to like, you know, do stuff with Isabel. And I could see it from the aid perspective. If I give you a transformative experience that takes you to another level in your Mm. mind, Mm. you're not going anywhere. That's the possession. That's interesting. You know, so he saw that that's what he needed. He needed to move feel more confident about his sexuality and it's if i'm going to give you your first sexual experience you're mine (laughs) wow yeah that makes a lot of sense it's interesting to me the eight motif of you know where he ultimately went to which is being the victim because yeah that's sort of Mm -hmm. not what you would expect of eight right what you guys would say about that as far as like sort of taking that hit of that I'm being whatever used or whatever. That's an why are you hurting me? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that is like, interesting. He did, the, yeah, he did the victim thing a lot, and I mean, I know that like he's got a six fix, can, can do victim mm-hmm. in the line of two and the two fix stuff, but that's true. That's yeah. the thing about eights is that there can be this like compelling "I'm a victim" narrative that doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like it fits in with the eight thing, but like I mean, I I remember when I was in. Uh, when I was around the age of the uh, Larry's victims, I lived with my aunt, who's like crazy and an eight. And we had this arrangement where she lived in Seattle, and I would pay, like, we would pay like a certain amount a month, and you know, as like rent. And then she like just decided it needed to go up, <laughs> and uh, it was like really bizarre. And she was putting all this pressure on me and my mom, but especially me, and like trying to leverage me against my mom, my mom against me, and stuff like this about like. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck's happening. And I was like, all right, I got to go. And so we just left, you know, like, because it was just clearly like eight wing nine, like has, there was just like a lot of pressure in mm-hmm. there. And it was like, all right, you're just trying to fuck with me. But it was like this right. thing where she was like, you know, she's my mom's older sister and was like, I can't remember exactly what she would say, but it was this whole thing about how my mom has always mistreated her and never thought about her and all the ways that she was like taking care of my mom growing up, which is like not true at all. And <laughs> it sounds like eight it sounds like the two six stem comes into uh as like fodder how do i say this 
Like the eight uses the six two victimization super ego thing as reason to continue leveraging, as mm-hmm. reason to continue like, okay, because you did this to me, that is the justification I have to impose my will on you. Yes. Or or just looking at it from eight alone, it's kind of like the two thing of look at all I did for you. Totally. Right. Yeah. right. I mean, the the first like fuck one of the first fucking lines in the Godfather is like you come to me on this day of my daughter's yeah. wedding and ask for a favor yeah. without saying thank you or whatever uh, the fuck it was. You know, it was yeah. like this, this putting like, oh, you've disrespected me. And it's putting that kind of thing where the person is like, oh, I have to earn something back. Right, right. That, that's like a certain kind of pressure that, I mean, that's like, I mean, Larry Ray like perfected. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I felt like, you know, social aid is already potent enough as it is. I get triggered by social aids because it's like, Think about just imagining like the eight leverage machine, but just focused on people. It's like, holy shit. But six, two felt like what could be more intense interpersonally than this combination, Mm, right? Eight wing nine with six and two stem social, I'm assuming social self press. Um, that was a lot self press social because of his like interest in tools. And he was like, you know, talk about carving out a holding environment. Yeah, I was thinking that possible yeah brings them to fucking south carolina or something and he's just like a maniac doing doing power tool stuff with like a what is a bobcat or whatever those things are you know just like like, what the fuck are you doing but it was just like yeah i was stuck between i was stuck between those two options uh and i was well i mean my dad's social self-present eight wing nine and there's kind of like an eight nine i think regardless of the stacking of the they're just really stuck in in the sort of the body and my dad Stuff. was like uh yeah my dad was uh even as a social type he was uh home tools like there was a lot of weekends where he would just put me to task to just uh being the tools person while he do like you know it's it's a weird i think the self-press second with eights it, it's underestimated how self-pressy eights might seem even with yeah, you know i see that for uh for the listeners out there i had larry had all the kids at one point literally tear up the grass in this south carolina home because it wasn't laid down right and then put grass back down which they didn't say sod they said grass and then it was not still not laid down right so they tore the grass back up and like the amount of film that larry has of them just digging dirt for yeah. no reason, just digging dirt. In he kept them busy as far. Chaotic. Yeah. It's chaotic. That's another um, leveraging. Yeah, I guess just like leveraging implementation tool or whatever. The fact that he always he was just always pressing down on them at all times. All the time. So we can say that it's like attachment, whatever, whatever. Uh, but it's also like he never let up right. one time, one yeah. single time. So attachment or not, you do need space to think for yourself yes. and to feel yeah. for yourself in mm. something. And when this person, when anything, when any force is just like coming down on you, not giving you any space to do that, what other choice do you have? Mm-hmm. You know, and it was kind of interesting to um, how simple it ultimately was for each person to leave. Like nobody had to run away. Nobody had to like scheme or anything. One Mm. guy just got like 10 minutes alone on a roof and then he left and never came back. Like it was that easy for just that. It's, it was that amount of space, that amount of like breathing room for yourself. Think about it for yourself. Oh, this is insane. I'm leaving. Yep. That's why I, 
that's why I was thinking it was social because I would imagine the self-present eight would have physical restraints to keep people from leaving. It was a complete sort of social interpersonal hold. They could have, any, any one of them could have left at any point. And that's when they had enough space to sort of think for themselves. Yeah. Uh, he didn't really control them. I mean, he controlled their activities, but it didn't seem like he, he, had, he tried. Had a to... chain on the refrigerator though. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I mean, another option for self-pres social <clears throat> is that part, partly what could look social is if his two-fix was right. second. Maybe. That's true. Mm. That's oh. what I think it is. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's what I think it is. I think two-six is already going to be really it, relational. That's and true, it's two yeah. with a three-wing, so that there's a sort of salesman <laughs> of, of salesman. Yeah, I think he's self-pres social. Yeah, that makes sense. I think he just has a six-two, like... What's people going on? Da, da, da. Yeah, yeah. people. It's super. People-y. That stem is so people involved, and it's like really involved. You it's know? super. I think involved. we've identified the most dangerous type on the anyway. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> most disgusting type. <laughs> yeah. No, it was bizarre. Like how much stuff he was making them do, all the physical labor he was. But like to your point, Alexander, like I felt more sorry for these people than I have in the other ones that I've watched because a lot of the other ones is like, oh, how stupid do you have to be? Yeah. Like that's, that's New York City uh, chef lady, the blonde, who had mm-hmm. given her boyfriend like oh, yeah, a like, yeah, yeah. Like million dollars or something oh, like that. Right. <laughs> I was so pissed off about that one uh, because that, you're not like, but these are poor kids. These are poor, oh. you know, Dominican uh, college students who basically got like completely taken over i mean it's not that they it was an easy con he was relentless he was relentless mm-hmm. and he there worked was so much really to, hard on this yeah. there was so much to leverage over too and this is like where i really think three comes in is because these were what poor dominican kids that grew up in the bronx mm-hmm. and one girl had made it from like all living in a one-bedroom apartment to mm. being a harvard accepted medical student oh, oh, like, yeah. crushed me dude yeah so like there is something i don't i think she we you we probably think she was a six right she's yeah. only like yeah. fucking lost it yeah but three fix has to be inevitable because right. um first of all i mean i guess i'm just repeating myself but i think it was the openness to influence to advance yes yeah, so that so the whole thing uh let's see the whole thing of her like i forgot her name um Felicia Felicia yeah yeah so she's like she was like uh she didn't even fucking live in new york she like lived in la mm-hmm. and she like visited her brother and immediately fell in love with larry and she was like a, like 2 weeks or something away from like becoming a full fucking doctor God, that hurt he like, that oh, hurts so God. bad. Yeah, yeah that was it, so yeah, rough. She'd grown up, grown up in the Bronx with like a you know poor Dominican family, and they like, all lived in a basement. Like right. six, how many of them? There's I think like, it was yeah, like, like six or seven, seven of them. Yeah, and and like you, you, they they interviewed the parents at certain times, and they're just like so. Oh, the super parents, sweet the parents Dominican, like yeah, like oh, Dios, you know, like they're like got this like, <laughs> like, little altar for their kids and stuff like this. And just, they like, both look like nines, and they gave them like <laughs> yeah. they're totally nines. Three hundred k. I was like, where did you get three hundred k from? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, we yeah. sold our house, money will come and go. Yeah. It's fine. So uh, yeah. I am. What's weirdly enough, I'm a little pissed about the parents though. The yeah. kids, I have much more uh, yeah. obviously like space to be like, okay, you guys are definitely victims. A little bit on the parents, I'm like. 
who the f- you didn't you, physically you didn't think to walk your ass up, in, up there yeah like the, yeah. the mom that didn't come she was like oh i guess i won't go like the gray-haired mom oh yeah oh, oh right yeah, yeah, yeah. she pissed me off because yeah. she was like oh well and it's like bitch you didn't fly your ass out there like what the fuck is no, yeah, there's stupid young kids you don't know that they're still stupid my mom would have been on the doorstep on in no. one minute she would have been like what the fuck is wrong with you nancy no, that yeah. mom was like a, an actual like negligent parent yes you know, i agree totally i agree was it isabel's Isabel's Isabel, yeah. Yeah. yeah, another nine wing eight. Yeah, she was completely out of it. Yeah, yeah. Like I think they strongly suggested she was an alcoholic or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. yeah. Um, um, one thing back to the threeness of Felicia. Um, I think she was so primed to have like that breakdown, and it just happened to be under Larry's like guys. Because as a three, right, she's doing she's doing the thing, right? She's going to, she got into Harvard. She's got into medical school. She's going, going, going. And I feel like threes that do that are just primed and ready to have the breakdown of what the fuck am I doing with my life? Mm-hmm. What the fuck is the point? And point. it just happened to like trigger that just meltdown of threeness. That's and a really it, good point. He yeah. just took, took advantage of that. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, she got the sense that she was just, like, fast-tracking into, this is what I need to do because I am poor and because I come from this background, Mm -hmm. too, and I need to really excel. And, yeah, like, he probably just gave her some kind of different direction, and that just, like, was catnip, and then started, from the other coast, implanting all these ideas that, like, she was under threat of assassination. And then when she fucking showed up to New York, and they have that video of her, and she's like in total oh, mental breakdown. Awful. And she's like, oh, she's like talking in that way, way that was like very high pitched, like a regressed, like yeah. six year old. Mm-hmm. And it was like, mm-hmm. it was like, she, I, they're after me. And it was like, it was, it was so fucking weird. Yeah. Like, it was really scary. It was so yeah, crazy. Watching her after he left with her, like, like you said, empty eyes. She was like, and her laugh, her laugh fucking killed me because it always sounded like it was going to turn into sobs at any yeah. moment. Mm. Like she was like, <laughs> it's like. <laughs> at, the, at the very end of the doc, yeah, there's chilling. like th- three parts. And the third part is like, everybody has basically like left. They've all like had a moment of clarity where they just walked away and basically with nothing like just got exhausted and just wandered off in a dissociated state and then we're mm-hmm. like i have to go and they just got on a train and left or whatever it was so there's just isabel the girl from the very beginning and felicia santos's sister the former doctor and they're living in this house in new jersey and the documentary crew is like following them around and like isabel seems just like kind of shut down but still right. pretty sharp in a weird way right, right. Mm-hmm. Whereas Felicia is like, I love Larry. Larry's like my hubby, or what, what, honey, honey yeah. bunny man. <laughs> I love, you know, it was like this had this quality that was like, like she was not in touch with reality. Right. Yeah. And it was just, I mean, that was, that's why I was like, we need to talk about this thing Ugh. because it was like watching her. And then that story where she's like looking, she's like recognizing that Larry fucked with her mind. And now that he's in jail and, they're like looking at old photos and there's this picture of her like in a little like uh first communion dress or something. And she's like, Oh yeah, I remember this memory. This is where I was like wearing this dress and I like turn around and I look at my father and I say, Look at my dress, and he doesn't look at me. And that's what started my He wasn't whole, there. 
yeah he, he like yeah he wasn't he like, there is what or, she yeah he, yeah something like that and it's like this started my whole relationship with men that larry helped me with and then she like spaces like like a computer like a, like a <laughs> yeah. slowing down mm, yeah so, and then she goes oh no wait that's that's larry right and then says the real memory is that something 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 and it wasn't a big deal and but he just she must have shared some fucking weird memory or photograph like look at me as a little kid or something and he goes oh that's must have what you know somehow yeah. it's incredible a new reality new in her brain yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and she still thought at at like when I stopped halfway through the third episode, and she still thought that she had met those men, the Kinnick mm-hmm. or whatever. Oh, right. She still right. believed yeah. that. She was like, "Ah, that could have happened when I was little." And it's like, how do, do you remember? How do you not see that. He, there was a part where that Asian guy who uh, basically let him use that apartment said that Larry had admitted <clears throat> admitted to him that he was building an army. Right. There was only oh, so much yeah. that you he could you can we can do ourselves that he's building an army. And so what I took away from that is that he had a plan to take control of these of these kids. And it was unrelenting unrelenting. Like if you gave him anything he could use as sort of psychological leverage, mm-hmm. he would use it and he created an a relentless attachment landscape for them. Yeah. Where it's like if I keep you up to seven in the morning repeatedly until you tell me that, that this memory is true, if you repeat it enough times, it becomes true. And it's like this sort of eight thing of, I'm going to find where the bodies are buried psychologically for you. Like mm-hmm. if you give me some yes. kind of potent memory, I'm going to use it. And then he's like, if I just keep pummeling you with this new reality, it's like... I just think that you put somebody like that, um, most people are going to succumb to that. I'm not saying that they're going to be there for a decade, but that that is a really, really psychologically dangerous person. Like that yeah. is extremely effective. It's like a presidential car- uh, candidate uh, repeating that the election was rigged. Right. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> yeah, where where attachment does come in for them, where I can see it really solidly, is yes, like. He comes in, he creates these positive relationships. They are, they are attaching of their own free will, right? Because they think that he's like great and has something to offer and has something um, that cares about their well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when he starts to turn and start to apply pressure, their attachment systems are used against them because now it's become not, a, it's not attaching of their own free will. Now it's attaching out of survival. Yes. Now they have mm. to give him those stories or the mm. bad thing will happen. Mm. You know, he will come down there. Now it's when like, you know, how all of the type are just our survival strategies. Now they're giving him what he wants because he's fucking mm. dangerous and they right. know that. Mm-hmm. And so they're having to repeat this some to themselves over and over and over again. This is the landscape I have to exist in or I won't exist. <laughs> yeah. That's a good and, point because something we didn't cover after we started recording is when he started turning it on to, why are you hurting me? Why are you hurting my tools? He starts physically abusing them, like yeah. hitting them. Uh, really aggressively. Aggressively. Like, like he, the, the guy with the questioning of sexuality, like he had him wrap stuff around his junk, you know, he would like take, took a wire on his tongue, tongue hitting him in the stomach, stomach with a hammer and then yeah. had San- like Santos and the doctor sister, she, he was, she was like 
crying and wailing. And he was like, I'm going to hit myself every, like, until you stop. And so he just keeps punching himself in the face. She, I mean, it's just, and he's filming the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. It becomes what? a survival strategy for the attachment at some point of like, I have to, I have to, I have to, I have to, mm-hmm. I have to play along here because now at this point, my livelihood depends on it. I don't even have the space to know whether or not I agree with it or not. But even if I was, as long as this person is around applying this threatening pressure, I have to comply or I won't make it out. He's yeah. like sleep depriving them. Uh, he's denying them food. And he's got their schedule completely mapped out. It's, yep. it, I mean, of course, they, it's almost forgetting that at any point you could leave, but yeah. they became slaves. Like their entire life was, you know, under his control. Yeah. Well, well he cut them off from his, from their, you know, support system. So they had nowhere mm-hmm. to go. Um, but one aspect of attachment that I saw kind of playing out, and I'm not 100% sure this is attachment. So maybe you guys can help me with this, but is, we all want that like that out of like we are victims of a horrible circumstance and that's why we are so fucked up mentally and so sad and life is so hard right he gave them explanations for like Mm. why their lives felt so hard because Mm. like your dad ignored you for this one time Mm -hmm. and you just psychologically crumbled and you're like, Oh, that's why I'm so depressed. And it's like everybody wants, or at least, I don't know. I feel like at least attachment does wants that explanation of why is this, why is life so hard right now? Totally Mm. gave that to them. And I think partly that's some of his, uh, two-ness, which is getting to the, to the, the really intimate, vulnerable, horrible thing that once you have that control of that secret in somebody's mm-hmm. life, you're just right at their life pulse. Mm-hmm. It's just really too. Mm-hmm. But I think you're right, Nancy. Like I think I don't think it's just attachment. I think it's kind of everybody. But it's like right. we all recognize something is off. But somebody who's like fucked up, like Larry, tells you what it is, and then pummels you with it, and gives you a story around it, versus somebody who's like helping you is helping you arrive at your own knowing about what's going on for yourself mm-hmm. and asking you the right questions about it and open to it. And he like, he could do like the therapist thing up until a point when he, then he leveraged it for himself. Mm-hmm. Well, I think with the therapist thing, like this is still at the stage where they are attaching to him of his own, of their own free will. I think that's the, that's the stage where you see him really offering. There is something with rejection types and rejection fixes that are almost like the i okay and i say this with a huge asterisk next to it but the ideal parent in the sense that they don't need anything in return it's only being offered to you they don't need anything in return of course like the side mark here is that rejection in return needs you to exist within their own parameters Mm -hmm. um but i think that was there's like a fatherliness towards being towards being giving and not needing something in return. And there is something very motherly about offering a certain nurture without needing anything in return. Mm -hmm. It's not reciprocal. It's just going one way. So I think he really put himself in a position of power by offering both a paternal instinct and a maternal instinct. Mm, And then use that, of course, later to... Now, if you want this, which who fucking doesn't want that, that's our original wound is being disconnected from that. Mm. Um, so here I'm going to give it to you and as long as you want it you have to exist within my parameters that are mm-hmm. going to change at my own free will at my own discretion Yeah, Great point. politically 
you can see how Trump did that with, yeah. um, you know, blaming everyone. Everything's wrong because of the Mexicans and because of the libs and, and just getting people worked <laughs> up where it's your life sucks because of those brown people over there. Let's deport them. Let's build a wall. Yeah, I wonder if there's also a mother projection onto Trump because he is such a, like an effete fancy boy who's like <laughs> loves to look at my body. You know, he's got that like <laughs> kind of feminine shaped body, you know, and like the the vanity and yeah. the, like the he's got a bosom. And, yeah, he's got the whole. Just he's got this little like uh, you know you you know he gets like uh, what is it manicures you know got right. all that yeah. kind of stuff and his hair done probably yeah. once a week. Yeah, his five hairs done. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say yeah. his lack of hairs. It's so funny, like given he, you know people would people would say stuff up until like you know I don't know a few months ago about Trump as like an, the ultimate alpha male and stuff like this. Like in where? <laughs> where like, he can't this, build a deck? Like what are you doing? This guy, yeah, this guy who's like uh, like Robert Pattinson. You have to break up with Kristen Stewart. <laughs> You know, like, I was not invited to the Vanity Fair dinner. What? You know? <laughs> You're so good at that accent. <laughs> you are really good. Disturbing. Yeah, John's really low-key good at impressions. Really good yeah. at them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh.